Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Laura Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, and including some that ran only one episode. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. Gerald Ford, dead today, and I'm gay. Oh, come on. I mean, what if Gerald Ford died, and you decided you were gay on the same day? Then we're screwed. That's news. That's a big news day. (laughs) So today we are doing the 1997 Dana Carvey show. The Dana Carvey show. Excuse me, the 1996 Dana Carvey show. I'm sorry, yeah. Because the whole thing is election 96. Yes, yes. And a lot of political humor here. And we use at least one of those words loosely. (laughs) So if you don't know, Dana Carvey was a fantastic comedian. He still is. But he was known for SNL. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, I'm going to have my own show now on the ABC. Yes. And uh, there's not only can you watch all of this on Hulu. But you can also watch a fantastic documentary about this show. Called Too Funny to Fail. Yes. So after you hear, after you watch the show and see what the insiders who worked on the show thought of it, you're going to hear what two people who run a podcast think of it. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start with the first episode. Or should we start with some background? Since we have more background than usual. I mean, we could start with a little bit of background. Uh, So after he left SNL, Dana Carvey wanted to do his own show. Right. He was a huge star at the time. Uh, There isn't really a comparable. Maybe Kate McKinnon? Someone who's just a standout in the cast that regularly gets a lot of attention. Yeah, but like she, she didn't have that character that was like then a movie. Like, yeah, he was Garth. Yeah, I mean, none of them really do now. Yeah, they're not really making SNL movies anymore because they don't make a lot of money. No, and they used to be like must see. There was really only a couple that were must see. Um, they but started they going. Came, to... They came out in a row. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers was number one and probably the best. Wayne's World. Then Wayne's World, which is the only one I believe to ever get a sequel. Correct. Which... Wayne's World two underperformed like, and, a lot, and they're both great. <laughs> Um, and other ones did okay. Right. Superstar, Night at the Roxbury. Right. Uh, they both did all right. Like, they were, you know... Coneheads? Coneheads is another one. And then we have the other ones. Yeah. Like, It's Pat and the Ladies' Man. The Ladies' Man. (laughs) Ooh, it's a lady. Ooh, it's a lady. Uh, so Dana Carvey was huge. And when he left SNL... It was a big deal. Yeah, it, I mean, it should also be noticed that, like, SNL was huge then. This was peak S- This was mid-90s, like, second golden age SNL. Yeah. So this is when you had, like, you had, like, Carvey and Phil Myers. Hartman, Myers. Uh, Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald. Uh, I think Adam Sandler's kicking around here at this point. I believe you're right. David Spade, Chris Farley, like... I mean, this is... If you are thinking of uh, huge uh, SNL sketches, you're thinking of a lot of the ones from the 90s. Yeah, like, 
And, you know, you got the church lady and Dana Carvey was just like one of the kings of yeah, it. Church lady, Wayne and Garth. Mm-hmm. And he was very famously George H.W. Bush. Yes. And he was very well known for that particular impersonation, which makes the first sketch of this super weird. Yeah. the We opened the Dana Carvey show for the first time ever with Dana Carvey as... Bill Clinton. Where's Daryl Hammond? Where's Daryl Hammond? And like, there's this, like, there's always this time in SNL where if you go back and look, the person who's known for that impression isn't there yet. Yeah. And and like, it's, it's just a little strange. Yeah, they haven't quite gotten the hang of the impression yet. Yeah, because there, there was a there's a time between Phil Hartman and Daryl Hannon playing Bill Co- uh, Bill Cosby, Bill Clinton Oof. Uh, in the middle. I forget who it was, but like it's very jarring to see. You're like, mm-hmm. wait, that's wrong. Yeah, uh, I think somebody else played. Uh, it was like when W Ar- as well for a little bit, and it was very strange. Yeah, and they see. had a hard time with Obama for a while. Yes, yeah. they had a really hard time with Obama because actually, now that I think about it, there was an SNL sketch where they all try to do Clinton, mm-hmm. and they just all come in and they're just like doing their best, but no one can do a good Clinton impression except for Tim Meadows. And Tim Meadows nails it. He's like, I'm not getting this, am I? And they're like, no. (laughs) I know, like, because Hillary Clinton's been in the news for decades, we've had multiple Hillarys over the years. Yes, we've had many Hillarys. Amy Poehler, Kate McKinnon. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and if you're a longstanding political figure, this happens as well. Yes. So... Dana Carvey's Bill Clinton (sighs) is just wrong somehow. It's just not there yet. Yeah. And there was debate over whether to start the show with this sketch, and it was a mistake. Yeah. Bill Clinton has locked away Hillary, because I guess we were, like, children during the 96 elections. I don't remember a lot about it. I remember there being a joke that Hillary was in charge and Bill Clinton was just there. I mean, that joke made it to the Animaniacs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's probably why I remember it. in charge is plain to see. It's Clinton, first name Hillary. That's how the president song ended. They changed a few of the lyrics later uh, because there was outcry for certain things. Uh, that's why in the old version, it's uh, John F. Kennedy. He gets shot to so Lyndon Johnson takes his spot. Right. And then in later recording, it's it's JFK had Camelot and Lyndon Johnson takes his spot. Oh, wow. Because they didn't want to talk about the assassination. Because uh, there were people who were offended. Huh. And the president song... Because I listened to it a lot when I was older, because it's how I passed U.S. History 2 mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Uh, I memorized the whole song, and that's how I passed U.S. <laughs> History 2. Yeah. Anime Nairs got me through some tough times as well in school. <laughs> United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama. I never needed to name every country, but... Uh, so in any case, we start with, with this Bill Clinton, and the impression's oh. already wrong. And then he talks about how... Now, some of you may think this is cruel, but I'm not a cruel man. I'm the caring, nurturing president. And without Hillary, I can be both father and mother to our nation. And this isn't just talk. I've taken this a step further. With the employment of estrogen hormonal therapy, (laughs) I have developed the ability to breastfeed. (laughs) 
Let's just take a look here. Let me open up my shirt so you can see what I'm talking about. There it is. There, every little baby. There you go. And they bring in, like, kittens to, like... He has, like, six teats. And yeah, well, then it's re- it starts with him oh. just having the two, and then he reveals that he has more. So he yeah. can feed more kittens and puppies. And then he stands up and he has a duck's ass. Yep. And I screamed. And I don't mean like the hairstyle. Because there used to yeah. be a hairstyle in the 50s called a DA, a duck's ass. No, like literal like Donald Duck in it. Yeah. And I screamed at this point, what is this? And six million people agreed with you because six million people turned off. And I don't blame them because like it's... An assault on the senses. Yeah, it's very, it's a bad prosthetic. Yeah, like every- It's very uncomfortable. Everything about it is just like so confusing. And then it's just like, all right, now it is time for the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. It's like, what? Taco Bell? He wanted to go to that old timey variety show mm-hmm. of having the sponsor in the name. Um, which is cool, and it's a cool idea. He doesn't really pursue it that much in this one. Right. Every other one has a little bit more about the sponsor. Taco Bell, it's just the Taco Bell Danny Car- Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. Right. And then the opening sequence shows him as a baby, mm-hmm. him as a child, him as a teenager, him now, him as an old man, and then his grave. Yeah. And I meant to, like, make a note of it, but I believe it says uh, that his death year is 2027? 2049. 2049. Okay. Yeah, I actually did notice it, too. It's somewhere, like, real far. He makes his own death date, like, real far. Yeah, he didn't want to jinx himself. Like, I I think I did some quick math, and he would have been, like, in his 80s or 90s on his death day. So, like, I, I guess he was trying to get around the, like, scary, prescient... Predicting your own death problem. Yeah, very true. Then it opens, and let's talk about this stage. It is a stage that's just blue carpet, Mm -hmm. and then there are shapes just hung everywhere. It kind of looks like a Taco Bell in the 90s. Kind of, I guess. And then there's like this orange piece that he stands behind Mm -hmm. that kind of opens... So that he can start the show. Yeah. And him starting the show is like a Q&A with the audience? Yeah, it's like proto-Chappelle show in Key and Peele in Comedian Stands in Front of Audience Talking. Yeah, you know what? That is a really good comparison. Except that Key and Peele have each other to play off. So they, they're kind of having a conversation that we're watching. And Chappelle is doing clear bits. Yeah. Chappelle is telling a joke that leads... Like, he's doing a stand-up mm. bit that leads into a sketch. Also... Dana Carvey's just kind of talking. Yeah. Like, Kay and Peele clearly also is written. Mm-hmm. And Chappelle's is clearly written. And basically what Dana Carvey does is he asks a question and then... No matter what the question, or he asks for a question, Mm -hmm. and then the audience asks him a question, and then no matter what 
answer he should be given, he kind of just does an impression of someone. Yes. And that's going to be a thing we I notice a lot during the show is that uh, he's a very good impressionist. Mm-hmm. But, but impressions the, are not jokes. But the sketches don't always land. He's kind of also introducing what the show is. He's saying it's racy prime time. The quote that I liked is, Hasn't been seen in prime time in, 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 in many years. Uh, it's going to be what uh, Johnny Carson will say, a little, little irreverent, a little wild. And um, <laughs> we hope that the audience uh, embraces it and is ready for this kind of thing. It's really for my buddies at home that uh, you guys, Rick and John, who my friends from high school have little kids now and can't stay up past uh, like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. This show is for those sleepy little baby boomers who really want counterculture humor. Well, you've got it now, mister. Yeah. Now, remember, the baby boomers at this point would have been about like 40, mm-hmm. like mid-30s, early 40s at this point. Yeah. And like, it's wild and like it would fit well on like Adult Swim. Yeah. In, in like, it's kind of like you laugh because you don't know what's going on. But the one thing I wanted to say is, one impression he falls back on a lot is Hans and Franz. Yeah. But they also mention at one point that he can't do Hans and Franz. So my theory is, if they can't write Hans and Franz, he could go out there and ask a question and then improv an Austrian guy that is not Hans and Franz. Yeah. But they can still get it in there. Yeah, so the next, the first sketch is this, like, Beatles memories sketch. Yes, and I believe this is right when Beatles 1 was coming out. Uh, I think this was well before that. Because, well, I remember... I owned the Beatles 1 on CD, and I did not own CDs in 1996. There was a time on ABC... This is, like, five years before. Five years? Because there's a time on ABC where... Like, the Beatles were just constantly on. Like, they were making a documentary about the Beatles on ABC. Right. Um, Because I I remembered, like, some sitcom did this whole thing where they find a lost uh, Beatles song. Yeah. And the line is something like, uh, Your love is a roller coaster. I'm hotter than a toaster. Yeah. The Beatles anthology had aired... About six months prior to the show. Okay. And was uh, released on home video release in September of 96. So this is what they're parodying. Yeah. It's... Well, what's weird is... uh, Dana Carvey does a great uh, Paul McCartney. Yes. It's spot on and it's very, like, funny. And he's he's just kind of, like, being silly and making noise. Mm Mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert, which, by the way, Stephen Colbert's in this. Yes. Uh, he's playing George Harrison, and he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. And he has some, like, jokes about, like... Yeah, I was frustrated sometimes, you know. I wrote this little skiffle song, you know, once called Me and My Squid. You know, it went, squiddy, 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 love my little squiddy, 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 rock and roll. And I took it to John and Paul, and they said the Beatles don't do songs about mollusks. You know, and then six months later, Paul comes back to the octopus's garden. I mean, there was a lot of crap like that. Which, if you're a dweeb like me, you're like, that's factually inaccurate. 
Everyone knows Ringo wrote Octopus's Garden. Well, it's kind of a funny joke, but his impression of uh, George Harrison. Harrison is about as good as mine. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ringo Starr is Ringo Starr. Yeah, which is a funny bit. Which is fun to see him, and like it gets big applause, and then it's never interesting again. I, this happens a bunch of times where people are doing impressions, and then the real person shows up. Yeah. And it doesn't quite land? It's it's oddly jarring. There's another time coming up that's, like, for some reason very upsetting. But I'll, I'll call it out when it happens. And then we get the first Drive and Dash sketch. Yes. This sketch repeats so many times. Idiot pranksters. I hate this sketch. It's uh, not very funny. The, the, it's them getting drive through this time? Yeah, it's literally just the drive through Yeah, so they order food. They pay, and then they peel out before they get their food. Mm-hmm. And then Dana Carvey and Steve Carell, because by the way... Steve Carell is in this show. Steve Carell is in this show. Uh, Steve Carell's just yelling like, we screwed him! We screwed him! We did it! We screwed him! <laughs> and, and that's the bit. And uh, get ready to see this sketch five more times. Yeah, and then uh, we get a few... We get some... Um, we get Dateline 96. Right. Because we get a lot. There's a lot of election humor in this. There's a lot of topical political humor. Mm-hmm. So this ages pretty weirdly. Yes. Because if you're not an expert on mid-90s politics, a lot of these sketches are kind of boring. Well, like it was definitely like interesting to be like, oh yeah, Bob Dole. He did used to say his own name a lot. And that was like a thing in my house. Bob Dole. Was Bob to Dole. look at each other and go, I'm Bob Dole. Bob Dole, Bob Dole, Bob Dole. That was a big thing in my high school. My my friend Zach would just say Bob Dole randomly. Which is weird, because by your by the time you were in high school, Bob Dole had yeah, long... This was five years ago. Well, well, five years later than... Sorry, I got caught in a time loop. By the time I was in high school, Bob Dole was the Viagra guy. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. Oof. Uh, Steve Carell is... Uh, Buchanan, which is kind of neat. Yeah, there's some fun stuff there. And he talks about like being a celebrity. But it's tough when it's topical because like, I don't know, like it's a product of its time. We see Bill Clinton jogging over a green screen. This looks horrible. It looks, we always make fun of that one episode of The Office because the green screen sucks really bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, this green screen makes that green screen look like, uh... Marvel Studios level CGI. Yeah, because uh, let me set the scene for you guys. You see all of the president, yes. which is Dana Carvey, and two security jo- guys. They're, you see their full body mm-hmm. as they jog in place. And then, like, it, it, the landscape of Washington, D.C. is, like, scrolling behind them, projected on a green screen. The easy fix to that is you zoom in on them so you don't see their legs. Yeah. This way it doesn't, like, clearly not match what they're doing. You just have them run in place so they bounce up and down, and then it's like, oh, they're running. It's like with Muppets sometimes. Like, it it was that kind of jarring and weird and uncanny of when, like, early Muppets running. Yeah, yeah, I get you. But, like, I want to really drive this home is... I'm nobody. I'm sitting here. <laughs> jumped in on that too quick. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm nobody. I, uh-huh. I, I, stop it. 
Uh, I don't work in television. Sure don't. No, I don't. I should not be able to look at a show on ABC that ran in prime time with one of the biggest stars in the world at the time and go, you can fix that with a Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how amateur this looks. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm teaching a film class and we're talking about uh, ethos, logos, and pathos in film. And this uh, is ethos. Like, when something happens that is so incredibly incompetent, you actually, like, the show loses credibility. Yeah. And I think, like, the Bill Clinton sketch that starts the show, that starts the series, is so poorly written and the prosthetic looks so bad. The show immediately looks incompetent. Yeah. And, like, someone could be watching this or listening to this right now thinking, they don't get it. That's the joke is that it looks bad. You can't do bad on purpose until you prove you can do good. Yeah, you can't break the rules until you've established that you know the rules and that you mm. can follow them. Yeah. It's like how the guys on Who's Line can break every rule in improv mm -hmm. because they clearly know all the rules and know how to break them and have the trust with the audience and with each other to right. break those rules. But like, we when we did Darth Marenghi, yes. uh, everything in Garth Marenghi is bad on purpose. And right. you can tell from watching it, like... They know what they're doing to yes. make it this bad. They know the rules. You never get a feeling like anyone knows what they're doing on the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, like the Garth Marenghi intentional badness is so intelligent. Because mm -hmm. you can be like, oh, they did this because. Yeah. Uh, the next sketch is pretty, uh, another one that repeats. For an eight-episode series, the show has a bunch of repeating sketches, and it's Germans who say nice things. This infuriates me. And it's just Dana Carvey and Steve Carell screaming nice things in a German accent. Ladies and gentlemen, the Taco Bell Dana Carvey Show would like to present Germans who say nice things. <laughs> Our friendship is very important to me. Let's all pile into the minivan. And go get some frozen yogurt! <laughs> Would you like a back rub? You look beautiful in a tube top! I like puppies! <laughs> you should come over for some nice crepes! And this is another weird sketch in that Dana Carvey corpses. Oh, consistently you can tell and this is something that is later proved by the documentary but you can tell just from watching it that this is a funny thing that steve carell does he showed it to dana carvey dana Co carvey was like that's funny i'll do it with you because my name is on the show yeah he has no business being there and you know what i bet that would be a great character in a sketch yeah where it's just like, oh, he's oh, he's actually being real nice. Like, everyone being, like, jarred because the loud German man is screaming in their face and then going, oh, oh, oh yeah, I would love a crepe. Yeah, like, oh, let me set up, set you up with uh, my, let me set you up on a blind date with my coworker Wilhelm. Yeah. It's an honor to meet you! I can't wait to get some punions with you! Yeah, and, like, have that be the joke. Yeah. But instead, like, they have them out of context out of reality. Standing next to each other against a wall. In suits. 
And um, Carvey corpses constantly. And Steve Carell never corpses. No. And that's like something he is quite famous for. Yeah. As an actor and as a performer is that he can pull off ridiculous lines with a lot of gravitas. Mm -hmm. It was something he excelled at in The Daily Show. Mm -hmm. And then... We get the drive through sketch again, and there's one notable thing about it this time. They ask for, like, 20 bucks on pump three, and then uh, they pay Dino Stanonopoulos for it. Better known as Starburns from Starburns, Community. Starburns, also the creator of Moral Oral. Yes. So, like, one of my comedic heroes. He, he's got a ton, I believe he's a writer for Rick and Morty. Yeah. He's got he's a incredible. ton of chops. Yes. Like, his resume is, like... 30 feet long. He's one of those people that you don't know that you've heard of. Yeah. He's absolutely he's so damn funny. And here he is, one of the writers of this show. And it's clearly like, he looks pretty young. Because mm -hmm. obviously, like, he's not that old in community. Which starts 15 years after the show. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, and then we get a Disney lawyer sketch. Which is the only, like, really funny sketch in the first episode. Yeah. This is about them trying to get the rights to Dana's characters. From SNL. From SNL. Yeah, because uh, it's ABC's lawyers. Yes. Because ABC had just been bought by Disney. Mm -hmm. And it was ABC's lawyers, which were Disney's lawyers. And if you know any, if you've ever run afoul of Disney for any reason, for copyright reasons, they are on it. Yes. And... To me, I'm ready to, like, just accept that this is the sketch that they wrote to explain why you are not going to see Hans and Franz, Wayne's World, and the Church Lady. Yeah. But no, they have secured the rights to the Church Lady, and the Church Lady then comes out and does the top ten nicknames for Princess Di. Holy crap, this ages like gas station sushi. But before we even get into that... Like, to me, this is insanity. The idea that this SNL character is now appearing on a competitive show. This is, what is the church lady doing in the impact zone? <laughs> that, like, this is mind-boggling to me. Like, the idea of, like... What is the cathedral gal doing in the impact zone? the cathedral gal! Like, but, like, could you imagine turning on SNL and seeing, like, Fire Marshal Bill? Or, like, seeing Debbie Downer on Mad TV? Like, yeah. something like that would be insane. Or seeing, like, the two valets from Key and Peele on SNL. Yeah. Like, it's just a weird thing to be like, yeah, this thing that is Clearly th them is now us. Crazy. but And then they call Princess Di a slut for 10 minutes. Yeah, I wrote down the top 10 oh, titles. Oh, okay. Princess Slut, Slutty Die, Her Royal Hornness, Lady Dying to Get Laid. There's so many typos because I was trying to type so fast. <laughs> Holy crap. The Slut, formerly known as Princess, The Princess of Wales and Moans. Queen Orgasmia, which, by the way, is not insulting at all. Uh, <laughs> slut and slut, 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 slut. Queen Orgasmia is a big insult if you're the church lady. Yeah, but I'm like, Queen Orgasmia, I'm like, that's not really that good of an insult. I, I laughed at this. 
Um, I cringe really bad because, like, knowing that Princess Diana dies, like, a year after this airs. Yeah. It's hard to, like, be like, ooh. And she's someone whose death was a huge cultural moment. Yes. And Harry and Meghan are in the news right now. And how Princess Diana was treated by the royal families in the news a lot right now. Mm -hmm. So maybe if I watched this, like, last year, I wouldn't have it on my mind as much. But, like, having it be like, Meghan Markle is leaving the royal family because they treated her about how badly they treated Diana. Mm -hmm. And being like, oh, yeah, they were really wretched to her. Yeah, like, like, Princess Di was a big figure in the 90s. And, like, that's kind of a big deal considering... It's foreign politics. Like, like, like I know Brexit's a big thing, but we used to just care what Princess Di was doing. (laughs) The royal family has always enjoyed a certain amount of, like, interest. Yes. From Americans, because we don't have a royal family. Mm -hmm. And until very recently, the office of president felt untouchable. Yeah. In a way, like... Yeah, remember? (laughs) So that's the first episode. Yes. It's bad. I'm ready for a long haul at this point. Episode two kind of turns it around a little bit. It's a lot better. We are now doing, what's the sponsor? The Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. This starts with a cold opening. It's uh, Entertainment Headlines, which is a Don't Sue Us version of Entertainment Tonight. Yes. And it's Colbert, or excuse me, it's Carell and Heather Morgan. Yes. Who's the only woman in the cast. Uh, she is, they are talking about Marsha Clark. And Chris Darden. Right. From who were part of the O.J. Simpson trial. Like, going on dates. Yeah, this is also back when, like, O.J. was inescapable. Yes. This was, like, 95, 96 when Mm -hmm. the... This was March 96, but this is when, like, the O.J. trial was on constant news loop. Yes, this is back when Cato Caitlin was a key witness and not taking our jobs at conventions. Right? I want to fight Cato Caitlin. Can someone make that happen? Anyone? Anyone? I I would like to have a cage match with Cato Caitlin. Is that a weird? Cato Caitlin. I would like to have a cage match with Laura. (laughs) Cato Caitlin. (laughs) How much of this are you going to cut out later? (laughs) None. (laughs) Yay! Uh, So the next thing we get is a pretty funny musical number. From what I can only call the Mug Root Beer Dapper Dans. Yes. Um, they look like the Dapper Dans from Disney World slash Land. Yes. Who are this like barbershop quartet. They're very charming. Yes. And the song is about how Taco Bell won't be a sponsor anymore. And how Dana Garvey needs to behave himself this time. Yes. Or they will leave as well. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty funny. Like yeah. the song works. It's cute. And Dana Carvey says, welcome to our second show. I wonder if there'll be a third. <laughs> yeah, and then he does this weird thing where he's like, dogs, nipples, no. Dogs here, no bad. It's horrifically awkward. It's it's the network telling him you need to apologize for this sketch. Yeah. And that's what he does. Dogs here, no bad. Oh, okay. It's him like still trying to look edgy. When he's being pulled back immediately on a second show. To me, it comes off as very childish. Yeah. Because when you're like, you know, listen, you can't hit your sister. Hitting bad. 
Yeah, don't hit your sister. No hit. Which is a great segue into their first sketch, which was the Baby Comedy Club. <laughs> this this made me laugh. <laughs> it was a cute sketch that didn't fit with the show. But it's basically, what if babies had a comedy club and it's just... Like, kids making fart noises and other kids laughing? Well, I felt like it was kid versions of stand-up comedy tropes. Yeah. Of, like, the insult comic was a little kid going, You're a doo-doo head! (laughs) And, like, the prop comic was, like, a kid playing with a toy. Yeah. So it was all of the... Like, the edgy comic was, like, gossiping about the preschool playground. Mm -hmm. So it was comedy tropes, but... Played down with, like, little, little kids. Yeah. And then Howie Mandel is there. <laughs> yeah. For, like, blink and you miss it. Yes. Howie Mandel is there. And, like, this plays on the joke of, like, making fun of stand-up comedians. And also, if you are a boomer in your 40s, like, you know that's what kids laugh at. Yeah. So, like, to see them make fun of the fact that kids laugh at the word booger would hit the audience that they were aiming for. Yeah, I keep trying to think of, like, if I were my parents. Because mm-hmm. this is aimed right about it, our parents. Yeah, if you had a kid that age, yeah. this is a great sketch. Uh, the next note I have is unfunny CNBC sketch. Uh, it's these Charles Grodin sketches. Yes, and this is the one where they take a break to show Bob Dole jogging? Is it? I believe it is. They're like, we'll be right back after we show this footage of Bob Dole jogging. And they show just Bob Dole jogging. And then they come back. Yeah. It's literally my only note is unfunny CNBC sketch because I didn't understand what was going on well enough. Yeah. It was was all very political humor that we didn't get. Yeah. And then there's like a hockey sketch for the hockey perfectionist. And it's Carell. It's Carell play like, he's a goalie, but no one is there to practice with him. So yeah. it's him figuring out ways to throw pucks at himself. Yes. So he can block them. This show yeah. is a really good showcase for Carell in particular. Carell comes out looking really funny. In, in almost every sketch, except for the one. Oh, yeah, we're getting to it. Yep. Uh, we get another entertainment headline sketch, and it's... About, um, it's essentially Oliver Stone, who was in the news, he just made uh, JFK and Nixon. Mm-hmm. And it was the idea of him doing a Washington movie. So it's Antonio Banderas as Washington. Yes. And it's Colbert. It's Colbert as Antonio Banderas and as Washington. pretty good at it. Yeah. And it's him, like, doing cocaine and, like, it's... Oliver Stone came under a lot of fire for how factually inaccurate his political movies were. Yes. So it was turning that up to 11. Mm-hmm. And, like, I could follow that because I knew about movies. Right. So I, I was like, oh, this is making fun of how politically inaccurate it was. That, like, they're taking it back to colonial times. It's kind of funny mm-hmm. because some of the ways they modernized it turn out to be Hamilton. Like, Banderas yeah. being Washington. I'm like, oh, this is... Kind of like a weird proto-Hamilton. Yes, indeed. And then we get something that you are not expecting. No. The ambiguously gay duo. Yeah. That started on this show. My first reaction was, wow, they got the church lady and the ambiguously gay duo. Little did I know that the cartoons started here. Yes. Um, That's why it's Colbert and Carell. 
because that they were on the payroll and Robert Smigel was also someone Dana Carvey had hired. Because there was a time where, like, I would stay up really late as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, as a kid, I watched a lot of Letterman, which okay. is weird. Uh, and I would watch SNL. And a lot of people would who watched SNL would, would be like, I'm tired, but I'll stay up for update. Because they loved Weekend Update. I would always stay up for... TV Funhouse. TV Funhouse. Because I love the ambiguous, ambiguously gay duo. Fun with re- Real Audio mm-hmm. was another one that they did. And I can't think of another one. But I used to really like the cartoons. That was like a little early for me. I didn't start watching SNL first run until like middle school, which was like Circo Will Ferrell. Yeah. Uh, I was watching these on like Comedy Central and they cut a lot of the TV Funhouse sketches. Yeah, they had to cut a lot of those. Because they would cut down to an hour. But Comedy Central would later... Just start showing TV Funhouse. Yeah, it had its own show that was Saturday TV Funhouse. Which, yep. Hey, maybe we'll do on this show. I think it only ran one season. Saturday TV Funhouse. Fun TV Funhouse. Fun Come back with my show. I think that was Lauren Michaels. Yep. Eight episodes, one season. Yeah, maybe we'll do TV's Funhouse. So, uh... It's pretty funny. It's if you've seen an ambiguously gay duo short, you've seen them all. Yeah, they're all the same. But one thing I want to point out mm-hmm. is uh Colbert voices the bad guy. Yeah. Which is the little guy with the big, head. big green head and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's the same character from Birdman. He does the same like voice, the like back off. Yeah. Nice trick you. So, like, to see that kind of kind of develop here is interesting. The best thing about this show is watching people like Colbert and Carell mm-hmm. cut their teeth. Yes. Uh, we get another Charles Grodin sketch. Uh, the, in my notes is literally, oh, good, this again. Yeah. I, at, at one point, they also show, like, Bob Dole says something like, I'm going to build a wall. Oh, that's in the previous episode. James yeah. Buchanan says that. James or not Buchanan James said. Buchanan. Pat Buchanan. Yes, I'm sorry. James Buchanan was a real president. Uh, Pat Buchanan. Yeah. Makes which, a comment about building a wall. Which is very jarring to hear a show from 1996 say that. Ugh. Another Beatles memory sketch. Yeah, skip It's it. about like Paul McCartney <laughs> eating a Snickers bar. Yeah, it's just a lot of stuff happening. Celebrity, bloopers, and dark sides. Featuring Paul Hogan and Casey Kasem. And I legitimately wasn't sure who people were supposed to be. Uh, I can't tell who Colbert is supposed to be playing. Is my next note. It's Casey Kasem. But I couldn't figure that out. Was that Colbert being Casey Kasem? Or was that... uh, Dana Carvey? You know what? I think it was Dana Carvey. I think I couldn't tell who Colbert was supposed to be. You didn't know that was Casey Kasem? Yeah, I'm Casey Kasem. It's one of the easiest impressions to do. Everyone has one. I'm Casey Kasem. Everyone had one in the 90s. The last time Casey Kasem was relevant. Casey Casey's... Casey Casey. Casey Kasem is shaggy, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, but he's not like a household name on his own anymore. anymore. No. Like, Casey Kasem... 
and a little like a 15 year old would look at you blankly and you go the original voice of shaggy from scooby-doo and they go oh okay and then they wouldn't care and then they make a fart noise because that's what they think is funny 15 year olds <laughs> uh, my i'm bad at telling oh. age. <laughs> spit in my mouth <laughs> I don't know why this time it bothers me. Oh, man. We are just loopy tonight. <laughs> All right. Oh, God. My next note is, holy shit, this show is so bad. <laughs> um, I'm clearly losing it in my notes, which is unusual. Well, it's very much an acid trip of the show. And it moves very quickly, and that's a very hard kind of show to take notes for. Right. Um... Episode 3 starts with a cold open that I found pretty funny. And it was farm animals watching the Oscars. And then Braveheart wins Best Picture and they're pissed. Which I laughed at because I remember going to an anti-Braveheart party. To an watch, anti-Braveheart party? To watch Babe. To cheer for it in the hopes that it would win Best Picture. So my neighbor <laughs> held it. He's like, we're going to watch Babe. Because it got nominated for an Oscar and I showed up and there was like pictures of Mel Gibson with lines through it. That's so stupid. Well, I, I don't know. It might have just been the pain on his face. But still, we were anti-Braveheart because we wanted Babe to win. That's so weird. Thank you. Okay. Well, the next one is the Mountain Dew. This is the Mountain Dew Dana Carvey show. This is weird because it's so backhanded it's so anti-mountain dew and when we found out from watching the documentary is mountain dew is actually the sponsor here yes and they sing a song about how there's nothing in mountain dew that's real yeah like explaining the the ingredients and it's like hi i'm yellow five yeah and it's like somebody's an atom because they're just citric acid yeah it's very very weird and then they all jump into a can of mountain dew and then the next sketch is dana carvey and another cast member like one of the ones whose name i never quite caught right just discussing that it looks like fluorescent piss well they never actually say that they yeah. just have a glass and they're like what does that look like and you the other guy like wants to say piss but he knows he shouldn't because it's the sponsor and Dana Carvey just keeps pushing him like, no, what does that look like? And he just eventually just goes, liquid sunshine? Correct. Mountain Dew. It looks exactly like liquid sunshine. It's a great bit if it's not really the sponsor. But it is! And then uh, we get a Larry King Live sketch that is saved by who is playing Larry King. Yes. It is the late, great Phil Hartman. Th this is when I was like, oh, they're, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Because it's just, uh, at the time, they kept asking Ross Perot if he was running for president. And he just kept saying, it's not about me. And then they kept showing him evidence of like, this kind of shows that you're running for president. Oh and in one of the most confusing moments of the show. Oh, the super meta? Yeah. Like, I think you're running for president because you gave a million dollars to the Ellen show for them to use your name a hundred times. Let's go to a clip. And it's a legitimate clip of the Ellen show that must have just been like an alternate take they filmed of a normal scene. Yeah. Where they just, the actors, it's not dubbed in. Yeah. It's not, it is legitimately 
them just saying Ross Perot over and over again. And it's shot like Ellen. Like, the studio audience is there like Ellen. It's And if you don't know, the cast of Ellen was Ellen DeGeneres and Jeremy Piven. Yes. So, like, that's weird to see again. And they're just saying Ross Perot a lot. It just kind of looks like they filmed a scene and then did, okay, this is the take for the Dana Carvey show. Yeah. But, like, Ellen used to come on at 10.30 on ABC. That late, huh? Yes. At least I remember it being that late. They It might have aired earlier before she came out. Yeah. And then they pushed it back. But the fact that someone could be flipping through the channels mm-hmm. and flip to ABC at that moment and see what looks exactly like the Ellen show for a moment just talking about Ross, Ross Perot is very confusing. Yeah. And, like, I know, like, that's rare, but, like, as a network, you need to be thinking, hey, that might happen. Yeah. And someone might be like, whoa. Especially the- Ellen got real political. I hate this now. Also, the idea that uh, the Dana Carvey show famously wasn't doing super well. So, it would be completely within the realm of possibility if I, a viewer, go, oh, this must have been canceled. And they're just showing Ellen instead. Yeah. Because this was before the internet, so this would just quietly happen with shows sometimes. They would just air a rerun or air something else. Well, one thing that I find amazing, and I'll tell you when this happens, but I watched exactly one of these episodes live. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy to me is it aired after Home Improvement. And yes. I watched Home Improvement every week. And I have very little memory of the Dana Carvey show. Despite the fact that I loved Dana Carvey. So I don't know if, like, I was going to bed at 9.30 because I was not a very cool kid. Uh, but uh, I, I would stay up real late in the summer. Uh, but I have no memory of the Dana Carvey show. It's very strange. Well, the Dana Carvey show ran only six weeks. And it ran at 9.30 on Tuesdays, right after Home Improvement, which ran at 9. Ellen was running at 8. Oh, my mistake. Wikipedia has every network television schedule from, like, all years. Eight on Tuesdays? Yes, Ellen aired eight on Tuesdays. Huh, that's that's even more... No, Ellen aired eight on Wednesdays, excuse me. Okay. Roseanne was running eight o'clock on Tuesdays. Roseanne was still running at this point. Yeah. That's fact. (laughs) Roseanne was a very popular show. I just didn't realize it was running that late. I think it still has a few more years in it. Oof. Um, in any case, uh, <sighs> that was... What were we talking about? Mountain Dew? <laughs> uh, we were talking about the Ross Perot yes. sketch. And, like, as time went on, like, Ross Perot would deny more and more things. Yes. To the point where he's like... Well, so if you're not running, why are you here? Well, see, Larry, there you go again. Who says that I'm here? <laughs> what do you mean? You're in this room. You're sitting right there. Sitting right here. All right, we have a caller. Yes. Hello, Larry. It's me, Ross Perot. <laughs> See, I told you I'm not here. Oh, God. All right, thanks for your call, Ross. Ross. Larry, Go! I'm here. <laughs> See, Larry, nothing is as it seems. All right, look. That was funny, and it was the only sketch that I felt like had an ending. Yeah. The rest of these just kind of end. Mm-hmm. We gotta talk about the next sketch. Oh, ho, ho, ho. this is the sketch Steve Carell wishes he could bury 
under the ocean. Yes. Stephen Colbert calls this the most racist sketch ever put to tape. And then announces, remember, I played Gregory Peck. Yeah. It's Susan Sarandon and Gregory Peck presenting the Foreign Language Academy Award. Yes. And the whole point of it is every time they announce a nominee, the nominee behaves as though they had won. Yes. In a horrifically stereotypical, outright racist way. Yes. The nominees for Best Foreign Language Animated Short Subject are... From Pakistan, Saj Patel for... I win! I win! I do win! I do win! No, just a nominee. I win the prize! I'm sorry. Are you all right? All right. From South Korea, Ling O Park for. I did not! 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 Oh. And it just looks bad. It's just, I, like, I don't even know how to explain it. I def- I don't even want to impersonate it. Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be recorded impersonating any of that. I bet uh, Steve Carell wishes he was not recorded impersonating. Yes. But it's very. Um, if you've seen Mickey Rooney at in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Steve Carell just does that. Yes, it's very bad. It's it's real bad. I, I will say my last note for this show is. Again, just the words, holy shit. I will say Colbert's very funny in this sketch. Yeah, he's playing Gregory Peck. He's losing his patience. Because there's a... You know how they, they put up all the nominees in this picture by picture? Mm-hmm. He starts, like, having an argument with one. Yes. Which is fun. Shut up! Over here! Look at you! I see you! <laughs> You're not such a tough guy! Look at you! You're not so Shut tough up. when I'm over here! Shut up, sir! You guys Shut your mouth! <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> it's a good editing joke. But man, it's racist. It's... I hope I found it and put it in. <laughs> it's so... And this is like the mid-90s. This shouldn't have been okayed even. Like, obviously it was 25 years ago and we are a little more quote-unquote woke now. Yeah. But this... I I feel like this was racist for then too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is kind of like when everyone in the 1900s went to Lovecraft and was like, "Dude, dial it back." <laughs> like that's how this feels. Yeah. All right. Episode 4. This is the diet so the diet mug root beer yes. in a Carvey show and the beginning of this episode is horrible yeah it's all of the like the dapper dans these are like the same they're the same every week the like the Mm -hmm. dana carvey dancers right but they're in fat suits this time are they in fat suits or they just fatter people i thought it was oh i thought it was the same dancers no i believe they're fat actors okay it's still bad yeah singing about how they should have drank diet soda yeah because they're fat because there's a part where they go behind uh a giant thing of diet uh, root beer 
and they come out as skinnier people. Oh, see, that's I think that might be why I thought they were in the fat suits. I thought they were like taking off fat suits. No, they're them. they're replaced with different actors. But here, this is something that is not answered in the documentary, and this was the number one question I had. Mm-hmm. They are dancing, and then it cuts to a title screen, and Colbert says, uh, "At this po- moment, one of the actors makes a gesture." that has been censored by ABC. And then it just continues again. There was never any explanation on what the gesture was, why it was censored, if it even happened, or if this was just a weird bit that they were doing. But, like, it reminded... This is weird. It reminded me of the uh, Closer video. Closer video. By, what was that, Stone Temple Pilots? No, Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails, the closer video. I, I wasn't allowed to watch MTV growing oh. up. Uh, they they tried to make the most, like, insane music video of all time. Okay. And do you know the song Closer? No, I was not allowed to watch MTV growing up. If, unless it aired on VH1, which means, like, adult contemporary. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to watch it. Uh, I want to bring the mic a little closer so I can do a little spoken word closer for you. I don't know why you're covering your ears, but this is a little Shatner closer. Uh, <clears throat> I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. I want to fuck you like an animal. My whole existence is flawed. You get me closer to God. Yeah. <laughs> so, th- those are the lyrics to Closer. Uh, and... In it, like... So, baby, hold me closer in the <laughs> backseat Oh, man, I should take the Closer music video and use that music and cut that together. I'm sure someone's done it. Because it's, like, it's shots of, like, a tied-up monkey and, like, a pig's head. And then something will come up that says, like, scene missing. And it looks like it's just part of the music video. And the director came out and said, like, no, they censored stuff here that I wanted to show. This is not my vision. I want my name off this. So, like, having that weird thing pop up, and I think Closer is around this time. Like, I thought maybe it was a reference to it, but I have no answers on what this gesture was. Yeah, Closer was a couple years before this. Yeah, so, like, this could be a reference to that music video, which, it'd be a weird place to put it, but, like, they do not answer it. That was the one thing I was waiting for in the documentary, was like, yeah, he made a jerk-off motion, <laughs> or something like that. But Oof. no, it, is a mi- it remains a mystery. If you know, if you are Dana Carvey and are listening to this show, please let me know. Yikes. Sorry. I just read a little bit about that music video, and I'm not sleeping tonight. All right. Get ready for a very special episode of Stay Doomed, where we watch the closer video. No. <laughs> why? Uh, Regis and Kathy Lee sketch. This one's pretty good, actually. Yeah. The impressions are good. He's good at doing Regis. He's always been good at doing Regis. And uh, Heather, um, I think, it's, I'm not sure, actually, if it's Heather Morgan doing Kathy Lee. Um, I think it is. She's very funny. She has a whole song. Because mm-hmm. she's like, she pushes her own projects, and that was something she was famous for. Yes. During and, the Regis and Kathy and Lee. And like show. I said, I was a very cool kid. I watched a lot of Regis and Kathy Lee because <laughs> I liked Galvin. <laughs> what is wrong with you? 
I oh, and Stephen Colbert plays Gelman. Yes. And that's pretty funny. I used to really like it. But it's uh, playing off how desperate Regis was to be famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Letterman mentions needing someone to fall in, to play mashed potatoes jumping into a pool of gravy. Mm-hmm. And Philbin wants to be on Letterman so bad, he's willing to do it. Right. So it's him running through town to get there before they're filming the sketch. Yeah. Letterman needs me. Uh, so then he he's running around and he punches Carol Channing. <laughs> but it's really Carol it's Channing. It's really Carol Channing. Which made me happy because I love Carol Channing. He fights a rat. He fights a rat. He ends up in the sewers. Yeah. But he, he gets there. And he puts on a potato costume, and then it's really David Letterman. Yes. And he jumps into a thing of gravy. Now, as someone who watched a lot of Letterman, they used to just have Regis run by out of nowhere for no reason. Like I distinctly have a memory of, for a few weeks... Uh, when Regis finally won an Emmy, mm-hmm. he would just run out and be like, I did it! I finally won an Emmy! I'm golden, baby! And then run away. Yikes. Letterman was great. <laughs> oh, I'm cringing for Regis Philbin, not Letterman. Mm-hmm. Letterman, I could see where Letterman finds that amusing. Cause, well, because Letterman and Regis had a good friendship because he kept bringing him on the show to interview him about his show, I Want to Be a Millionaire. And he never once said the title. Who correctly. Wa- who wants to be a millionaire correctly. Because he would say, it's who wants to be a millionaire. Well, everybody wants to be a millionaire. You should call it, I want to be a millionaire. <laughs> uh, then we get the Geraldo sketch, which is pretty good. Yeah, Geraldo's always fun to take the piss out of. Um, and Geraldo with Cato Kalin and O.J. Simpson. Yeah, I want to fight him. Did I bring that up? You did. And it's like, essentially Cato Kalin selling O.J. out for having done it. But then backtracking when OJ threatens him. Yes. And that's the whole sketch. And just ends randomly. OJ sketches were always very easy. Because it was an absurd trial. Because it was a circus, yeah. I mean, they made an FX drama called American Crime Story. Mm-hmm. That it was just a miniseries about the OJ Simpson trial. Because it was so sensationalized that you could do that. Yeah. Uh, Germans who say nice things sketch. Not again. much to say about it. Yeah, it's just that again. And then we have the the National Publishers Association. Mm-hmm. And it's Howard Stern kind of like giving the address. Yes. Good Howard Stern impression here. Yeah, great Howard Stern impression. But th- this is the, uh, what is this called, this dinner? We it's the National Publishers Association. It's not the it's not the one you're thinking of. Oh, it is not. It's not the correspondence dinner. I thought it was. It was I think part of the joke was that it was a very mundane event. Okay. But uh Howard Stern comes in and just like rips Clinton apart and Clinton just laughs because he likes getting roasted. Uh and I want to bring this up. Yeah. Did you notice any time that Dana Carvey was in a suit? He had these, like, big shoulder pads in the suit that made him look like a child wearing his father's suit. I did not notice that. They do it all the time. And Dana Carvey's not, like, a giant guy. No, he's pretty slight in build. But, like, they kept trying to make him look bigger, but it just looked ridiculous always. Right. The man shouldn't wear a suit. He doesn't wear one well. 
So it just devolves into Dana Carvey as Bill Clinton talking about how much he likes sex. That's the whole last three minutes of the sketch. Hot take. It's so long and he keeps going on about it. Like, I was actually like thinking about it the other day. Stay with you, huh? Yeah, and like not in a good way. And then we get another Germans who say nice things sketch. Yes. It happens. Moving on. Yeah, we got freaking four more of these to do. Uh, the Pepsi Stuff Dana Carvey show. It's called The Pepsi Stuff. That's yeah. literally the name. Well, you remember Pepsi Stuff, right? No. Oh, Pe- you, they did a promotion where under each cap of Pepsi was a code. Or no, I think you had to mail them in because it was pre-internet. Yeah. And then you could use it to buy stuff. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, I got a Pepsi football. Uh, But it starts with Jay Leno interviewing Tarantino. Yes. And it's so much B-roll. It's a lot of B-roll. And it devolves devolves into them just making noises. Yeah. Because Quentin Tarantino is known for just... And Jay Leno is known for just going... That was the the one joke they wrote. Then they explode? Do they explode? Yes. They explode. (laughs) Uh, Then we have this dating service for the insane. Like... They're saying, like, the homeless people who talk to themselves. Yeah. And it's, like, an old-timey dating service where you'd film the video. And yes. it matches you with other uh, mentally ill homeless people. Who so talk that, to themselves. So that you don't look like you're just talking to yourself. You look like you're having a conversation. Yeah. That's it. That's the joke. Yeah. It's okay. Like, I kind of get the bit, like... I think homeless people that talk to themselves was a very common target back then yeah because like i i remember there being a comedian uh mark maron had a bit where it was just like uh what if all those homeless people are talked to do that talk to themselves are the ones that hear the voice of god yeah that's why they're always just walking around going i can't i can't um there, there's all there was a bunch of like jokes about like giving homeless people bluetooths so they looked like they were just on the phone. Yeah. Like that was a very common punchline in like early 2000. Yeah. So like, I don't know why, but like there was a time where making fun of mentally ill homeless people was the thing to do. I mean, as you couldn't, I, we see this a lot even today as it no longer becomes acceptable to make fun of a certain group. Mm-hmm. the jokes shift. Like, it's no longer okay to make racially-based humor, so they were making mental illness-based humor. Right. Uh, after you really couldn't do sexist humor, it became based on sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. When you couldn't really do it based on sexual orientation anymore, it became based on gender identity. Yeah. So, it's this, like, you know, comedy writers who are not Lazy comedy writers. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the whole, like... Need an, quote, quote, acceptable target. And at mm-hmm. that time, mentally ill homeless people were deemed an acceptable target yeah. because there weren't strong advocates for them at that time. Mm-hmm. Very true. This is like every marginalized group gets made fun of in comedy until somebody's like, you've got to stop that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so this is the weird Easter special sketch. Yeah. It's just bad meta impressions. Like, the, it's hard to follow. It's the Easter story. He, he's doing an impression of someone that I don't know. He's little doing Rich Little. He's doing Rich Little. And Rich Little is then doing an impression of someone who's then playing someone in the Easter story. So it's, break out your calculators, kids. It is Dana Carvey playing Rich Little, playing another impression while also being Jesus or Joseph or Pontius Pilate. Yeah, Rich Little was a very famous impressionist. Uh, He was Canadian. He was nicknamed the Man of a Thousand Voices. And he would have been around 60 when this was done. So I wonder if it like if that was like one of his heroes. I would imagine he would have been. He was on Johnny Carson a lot. Uh he did a lot of variety shows because he hmm. was a very skilled impressionist. And I could definitely see Dana Carvey looking up to Rich Little and impersonating yeah. Rich Little. Yeah. But like this is the equivalent of like me having a national show. And then I want to make jokes about, like, Uncle Yo. Yeah. Like, who who is a big name in my very tiny scene yeah. that no one else is going to get. Sorry, Carl. Uh, but, like, it's just a very weird choice for you to do on your national television show. Yeah. Uh, Rich Little is still performing at the Laugh Factory in Vegas, according to Wikipedia. We should go. No. Okay. We're uh, not, not going to count. <laughs> I tried. So Sorry, then, Rich Little. Then we get uh, waiters who are nauseated by food. What a funny bit. It's stupid, but like it, it runs the length it should. Which is about like 45 seconds. And it's just like, and it's not like the Germans, where it's just like, here's them saying nice things. Like... They're in the context of a restaurant. Trying to read you the specials and ask you what you want. Yeah. Good evening. My name is Roger. This is my back waiter, Stuart, and we'll be serving you this evening. Do you need a few minutes before ordering? Actually, could you tell us the specials? Okay. Right. Our soup today is a creamy fish chowder with chunks of potatoes, corn, And scallops. (laughs) $7.95. We have a... (laughs) We have a milk-fed veal with a uh, mint jelly. That... That that comes with asparagus tips and an olive caper sauce. $17.95. Uh, today's seafood is today's seafood is flounder. Uh, it's sautéed in a uh, uh, spicy butter sauce and served on a bed of steam leeks. Uh, uh, we also have a cob salad with a warm bacon cream dressing. And mm. Colbert and Carell act. Differently, it's Colbert and Carell. Yes. And they act differently enough from each other 
Like, you get that both of them are nauseated, but they're not doing the same physical tics. Yeah, they're not doing the same that. bit. Like, you know, Corell's putting his head down while Colbert's, like, dry heaving. Yeah. And because they're doing different physical things, the sketch works better. Yeah, it's... Unlike Germans who yell nice things, where they're doing the same physicality. Yeah. Harvey is kind of just doing Corell's bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame. The, the fact that Dana Carvey di- did that kind of makes me think, or makes me wonder, if Kevin Nealon was the one who came up with Hans and Franz. It and would... Dana Carvey just jumped in on it. I don't know. that That's super interesting. Because it's a very similar dynamic. Because, like, Hans and Franz acted pretty much exactly like each other. Yep, it was Kevin Nealon. Yeah. Kevin Nealon was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger on TV during his and Carvey's first comedy tour in 87. Mm. I'm sorry I keep taking the piss out of Dana Carvey here because I actually do really like him. But... I like Dana Carvey, but I, I have I have words in the conclusion. Then we get this Prince Charles musical number. I, I have nothing to say because I don't get it. It's essentially a Beatles parody about having Princess Diana killed. Yeah. About beheading Princess Diana because mm-hmm. Henry VIII was able to, one, factual errors. He did not behead certain wives. He only beheaded two. Yes. But he like was like, oh, he beheaded four wives. And I was like... No, nope, that's not what hysteria told me. I mean, there's a very famous nursery rhyme, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, that I've known since I was like eight. Yes, I learned it from hysteria. Yeah, and now now there's a whole Broadway musical based on that nursery rhyme. I'm not joking. Six, I, I believe you. Six starts with like a cell block tango esque divorced, beheaded, died, like that. So now, oh. like, that's just what I'm thinking about in my daily life. Um, it's not funny. It reminds me of when someone is trying to imitate Monty Python, but they don't have what Monty Python... That's a lot of what this feels like, is that they want to be Python and they're not. Yeah, Python is so difficult. Because, like, if you explain a Monty Python sketch to somebody, it's not very funny. Yeah. What's the least funny thing you can think of? Is it a teenager quoting Monty Python at you? (laughs) Yeah. Like... I, in college, I used to say that my version of hell was seeing Monty Python and the Holy Grail in theaters with a bunch of people who are not saying the lines with the movie, saying them just before them so everyone can know they know the lines to this movie. Oh, I watched The Princess Bride with someone who did that. Yep. And it was infuriating. I was there. <laughs> it was infuriating. Um, Clue's another one that people do that with. Mm-hmm. So it's, maybe because this was a British sketch, but it really hit that like, oh, it wants to be Monty Python. It wants to be that edgy, interesting, weird humor. And it's it not- doesn't hit it. Uh, episode six. My first note is, Jesus Christ, it's that same B-roll of Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. Yeah, they, they show Bob Dole jogging again. Uh, this... Episode, episode six, which is the Sejuan Dynasty episode, which is a Manhattan Chinese restaurant 
that they would like order food from. Yeah, because they couldn't actually get a sponsor. And this makes me think that they are broke. Yeah. At this point, because this one feels really low budget. And they are. But for some reason, the set can entirely changes. Yes. That Dana Carvey comes out on. No idea why. Colbert, oh, we, we missed a sketch somewhere uh, about the easy-to-take 11 o'clock news. Oh, I did like the easy-to-take. I think that might be episode two. Yeah, it was like three episodes back. Be- because, like, and it was in response to the network coming down on them. Where they're like, oh, fine, we'll just make everything nice. And it's them just, like, saying the news very nicely while they pet a pony. Yeah, and it's it's actually pretty funny. It's pretty funny, but, like... We get that you're trying to be, like, counterculture. Yeah. We get it. But, like, when you turn around and give the company you work for the finger, Mm -hmm. eventually you're not going to work there anymore. Yeah. Biting the hand humor, you have to be pretty subtle about it. Mm -hmm. Like, community pulls it off really well. Yeah. Um, Because community has the whole thing with Subway. Mm-hmm. Who was a legitimate sponsor of community. Right. And they did it in a way that, one, we couldn't tell they were a legitimate sponsor. But it didn't make the product look bad. And Subway saw sales increase. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they said there were double-digit increases. But, like, this makes me think of uh, Last Week Tonight. Yes. And Last Week Tonight, uh, John Oliver's constantly making fun of AT&T. Yeah. And he's like, ah, I got you again, business daddy. And he does say, like, actual hurtful things about AT&T. And, but, like, it's funny. And he's never really said anything that's like, hmm, maybe I should switch to Verizon. Like, yeah. nothing like that. This, the jokes that are about, like, the network are them reacting to them coming down on them, which is something we as the audience would not know at the time. Yeah. So, like, it's just confusing, and it's just entertaining to them. I feel like that's one of the biggest problems of this show. Yeah. It's, whenever you watch a review for a comedy, or, like, advanced interviews, and they go, we had such a great time making this movie, to me, that's a big red flag of, this movie's not going to be very good. No, they had too much fun. Uh, Because it's like, oh, we just kind of had fun and happened to make a movie somewhere along the way. Right. Uh, so we get the techno future sketch, um, which is just this little sketch about like different things that are going to exist in the gadgets. future. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's cute. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, we get a good entertainment headlines, that entertainment tonight thing about the Unabomber. Yeah. And it's making fun of the MTV show Singled Out. Oh, yeah. So it's like they're making fun of. Young, it's Stephen Colbert making fun of Chris Hardwick. Yeah, which is such a weird thing to think about. And if you blink, you'll blink and you'll miss it. But there's a cameo by then unknown Selma Blair. Yeah, she's just one of the girls in Singled Out. Yeah, that 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 gets singled out, and or when you're singled out, you win. Yeah, Uh, she's one of the girls that gets like eliminated eliminated by the Unabomber. And it was kind of a neat, like, it was like the Jennifer Lawrence thing in the last episode where it was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. And just like that, it's not really a cameo because she wasn't actually famous. She wasn't anyone yet. 
And then there are three blank uh blank after darks. There's Discovery Channel After Dark, uh, yeah. which is just B-roll of animals having sex. Mm-hmm. There's Food Network After Dark, which is like B-roll of sexually suggestive food. Yes. And C-SPAN After Dark, which is just the Washington Monument. These aren't in a row, but I don't want to have to keep going back and explaining it. Yeah, but like, this is also where we're like, oh, they're out of money. Yes. They they were they were given B-roll and they're like, just make jokes around this because we don't have money to film anything this week. Yeah, and then we get skinheads from Maine, and there's like two skinheads from Maine. Yeah, and it's and it's again, it's that like that weird, just like half of an idea. Yeah, of just like let's just be racist people with a Maine accent. Yeah, it's like oh, everyone's a Southern redneck. Let's be Northern rednecks. Mm-hmm. The Sichuan Dynasty Dana Carvey Show proudly presents skinheads from Maine. Nice breeze tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Never cared much for the Negroes. Nah, me neither. Are you going to the synagogue tomorrow? Yeah. Picked out a nice rock, gonna throw it out a window. Yeah. And like the 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 main accent, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, but but the, the, it's racist not... things said in a main accent is not enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's just like oh, that's amusing. Oh, and we forgot this when they first did this sketch. Grandma the clown. Ugh, I don't Grandma want to the talk clown about is very adult swimmy in the worst possible way. Yes, it's unnecessarily dark and nihilistic. Mm-hmm. In a way that super doesn't work in a sketch comedy show. Yeah, and like, none of the cast is in it. No. It's this old woman in clown makeup performing for children. And she's just like, I'm Grandma the Clown. My ankle itches, dear. Could you scratch it for me? And then she... Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. These years go by so quickly. It's just, it's uncomfortable and it's not very funny. And then, like, there's a moment where she's like, I'm going to hit this button. I don't know what's going to happen. And a pie very slowly hits her in the face. Yeah. So slowly that it was not funny. And then it was funny. And then it wasn't funny anymore. Like, they, it was so slow they missed the punchline. Yeah. I was just like, "Ah ah-ha, this is a, okay, this should be over. All right. There's also another entertainment headlines about Madani. And this was kind of a good joke. Yeah, it was the idea that this guy wrote all of Madonna's songs and Madonna just keeps ripping them off. And was doing like Madonna's shtick. Yeah. Like he released a a coffee table book called like Doing It. Doing It, yeah. Right before she released her coffee table book called Sex. Yeah. And then he, he wrote Material Boy. Yeah, like everything was... Everything he did was, like, a year before she did it, mm-hmm. but badly. Yeah, and, like, he's just, like, a delivery boy because he, he can't get any work as Madani. Yeah, it was 
kind of funny. Yeah, it's it, it's one of the things that like has legs because it's a character in a situation yeah. instead of a character screaming words in your face. It's a whole joke. Yes. It's not a great joke, but it's a whole joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the... Oh, I hated this bit. It was this Montana ranch was like under siege and they sent in the Pied Piper. Yeah. This is at least an idea. Where, like, we're going to send the Pod Piper in to, like, uh, wrangle all the, these... Like, he plays the the pipe and, like, these terrorists come dancing out. They're like, stop! Where are you going? Kind of a funny idea. Like, you're taking the Pod Piper and you're, you're putting it in a different scenario. But I want to talk about how he gets riddled with bullets. Yeah. And he gets riddled with bullets oh. so long and he's milking it for so long... That he corpses. Yep. And just keeps going. He's like, look how silly it is that I'm still doing it. And then falls and visibly laughs. Yep. They clearly don't know what they're doing. The next episode, I have (coughs) so few notes on. Um, And my last note of the seventh episode is literally just the word what. Is the seventh episode the last one? No, there's one more. Okay. It's just... The sketches are so not jokes that I kind of just write down one or two words to remember what was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the Kennedy memorabilia auction. I, I have no memory of this. Neither do I. And then, like, the Wizard of Oz one, which I do remember. Yeah. This was, like, an old... Is he Rich Little again in this? No. He's, like... I don't want to say Leonard Malton, but he's, like, one of those, like, AMC presenters. Uh, and... You know the the Tin Man wants a, a wants a heart, and the Lion wants courage, and Dana Carvey's character doesn't have an ass, and he yeah. sings a song about not having an ass. It reminds. I mean, this is very SNL-y to me of like a cut scene from a famous movie. And yeah, and like it is such a like cards against humanity setup. Yeah. Like, like this idea of if like, I only had a, and then like, if you went to a seven year old, what should someone else have? The Tin Man needs a heart. The Scarecrow needs a brain. What does someone else need? A seven year old would go a butt. Yeah, like, dude. Uh, my other note here is that Dana, sorry, I just moaned instead of finishing that sentence. My other note for episode seven is just Dana Carvey's in very little of this episode. Comparatively. Yeah. Is this when we get Bob Dole's Master of the Skies? You know, I'm not sure. No, it's not. Okay. Um, this is the one where we get the weird famous first ladies as dogs. And it's just first ladies and then dogs. Th- this is... It's like the, the women sh- pretending to be dogs. This is the showcase moment for, what's her name? I'm sorry. Heather Morgan. For Heather. And this is something she does like a few times where she's Hillary Clinton and barks. Yeah. Because she's like, I locked Hillary Clinton in this room and then she barks. And then there's like another character she does where she's just like saying okay over again. Like, oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then her head explodes. Yeah. And it's just like, they didn't (laughs) know how to write a woman character. Oh, that's incredible. So it's obvious. just like they give her some time and they're just like, I don't know, make noise. <laughs> Go. So, yeah, and then we have the last episode. 
Uh, this starts with the stupid CNBC sketch, which is still bad mm-hmm. and still not funny. This is Bob Dole undercover. This one kind of is funny. I liked Bob Dole undercover. Bob Dole undercover is funny. <laughs> it's it's Bob Dole like wearing disguises, and like he disguises himself as Hillary, and it's just like you should drop out of the election, Bob Dole. And then Bill Clinton tries to put the moves on her. <laughs> yeah, like that's fun, and it's very like his. Disguises are Scooby-Doo quality. Yeah. But everyone falls for them. And they once again... Because Al Gore at one point. And yeah. Al Gore endorses Bob Dole. But he once again reuses the footage of Bob Dole jockeying. Yes. I don't know why they keep using this. Uh, in Carvey's little speech, they acknowledge it's the season finale. Mm-hmm. And he does an impression of Catherine Hepburn starting her car. <laughs> it reminded me of Full House, of like... The hacky, <laughs> stupid stuff we'd see Joey It was do. a Joey Gladstone joke. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? Like, the hacky crap we'd see Joey Gladstone do mm-hmm. that passed for, like, family-friendly comedy? Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's why it was there. He had to do the opening bit where he talks to the audience because that was the format of the show. So they were like, do your fastest joke. And I think that's what came out. Yeah. There's uh, the Tom Brokaw sketch, which is pretty funny. Yeah. This is one of my favorite jokes. And like, I remember watching this and going, how do I know this? Because it was, because this episode didn't air. Right. It's on Hulu. It doesn't air, but he, when he comes back and hosts SNL, he does the sketch again. Yeah. What I'm saying is you didn't know why you remembered this because it didn't actually... This episode of the Dana Carvey show never made it to air. Right. But is on Hulu. It is on Hulu. And it's basically him as Tom Brokaw, right? Yes. Uh, Recording him announcing the death of Gerald Ford, even though Gerald Ford is not dead. This way, when it happens, it's ready to go first. Yeah. And so he has to... He's about to go on vacation. Yeah. So he sits there and and just says, like, Gerald Ford, dead today, attacked by wolves. And it's just more and more ridiculous, but he has to do it because it's his job. Yeah. It's very simple, but very funny. And uh, I don't know how we have not mentioned this, though, but a huge writer of this sketch was Louis C.K. Yeah. Because Louis C.K. worked on this show. Louis C.K. is not on screen very often and almost never in... An important role. He's like an extra in a couple of mm-hmm. sketches, but he's never really the focus of a sketch. He's a behind the scenes guy. Yes. And this is one thing I got to say, because we missed this. There's the, the the stupid pranksters. Yeah. Uh, are in another episode. And it's the only episode I remember watching live. Yeah. And uh, they shovel an old woman's uh, driveway. driveway. Snow, sh- snow shovels. And when they she goes to like get money to pay them, they run away. Mm-hmm. Then later they get a prostitute. Yes, and they pay her, and then like she goes to get changed, and they run away. I remember watching this, and I was being babysat by my grandmother at the time. <laughs> Gammon, and yes, Oof. and I remember my grandmother going. They seemed like such nice boys. The way that they. Shoveled the walk <laughs> and didn't get paid, and then they did that with that woman. 
And like, I was old enough then to be like, ah, you didn't get this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, this ends with the stupid pranksters winning the lottery. Yes. And going to collect the check and then running away. And then running away. And then getting in the car and having the graduate moment. Yeah, where they slowly realize, oh, we didn't screw anybody. We've only screwed ourselves. And the car drives away slowly. And they mention how fitting of an ending that is to the Dana Carvey show. Because that's the end of the show. They're like, oh, oh. This show is rough. It's really rough. It feels like a bunch of guys writing sketches that entertain them mm-hmm. and don't quite get how... Like, and these are people who are UCB trained, Second City trained, SNL trained, mm-hmm. who logically should know how to write a sketch. Yeah, and but like to me it's, we got the job, so the rest of this is a victory lap. Yeah, and it's interesting when you watch Too Funny to Fail. It uh, They definitely throw a lot of blame on uh, Louis C.K. Yes. Because it ran... Too Funny to Fail aired in 2017 when Louis C.K. was no longer popular. Yeah, so they let him take the brunt of it. And they don't have any interviews with him either. Mm-hmm. Everything that... Louis C.K. addresses is like stock footage of interviews. Mm-hmm. So they kind of blamed the Bill Clinton one running first on him. Yeah. And like, honestly, if they it had not run first, I could see this have doing better. Yeah. Uh, the documentary says that like towards the end, the critics like turn a corner on it, which I almost don't believe. I think one or two might have turned a corner on, on it and they... Put it in the documentary to make themselves look good. It's super interesting when they have the critic who turned the corner on it. Mm-hmm. The critic who turned the corner on it does so after an incredibly harassing letter from a white male fan. Yes. Who which, is in the documentary. Which is so... Like, I always think of that kind of nerd rage as such a recent phenomenon. Yeah. No, it was always I'm like, there. like, oh, that fan entitlement. Has always existed. It was just on a smaller and less It's vocal just scale. easier now to tweet than it is to write a letter. <laughs> and because there are essentially content mills, mm. they're so much more uh, vocal and they're given so much more of a platform. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the AV club's got to write 40 articles a day. If someone's mad about Star Wars, they're going to get at least two, three articles out of that. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that's in the documentary that I think we need to bring up is when they show them the home improvement commercial. Yeah. Because there's a commercial of for home improvement. ABC Tuesday. A parent's worst fear. Losing a child. I don't want to die, Dad. You never know whose family it will happen to. An episode so powerful, it hits home. We beat this thing, no matter what it is, you know. I'm not letting anything happen to you. A special home improvement followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. (laughs) (laughs) What can you say? I mean, that just says it all. That just says it all. What were we doing? And, like, they show a print ad for the show where it's, like, Tim Allen mugging for the camera. Mm-hmm. And then it's Dana Carvey and Kermit the Frog. Because mm-hmm. this was the year Muppets Tonight ran. Yes. Well, 
Muppets Today ran only one season. Ran two seasons. <laughs> ran one season on ABC. Yes, and then it ran another season, which would be two Double seasons. Double doomed. <laughs> um, the, the documentary also has Bill Hader, who mm-hmm. is like a well-known... Because he's a big fan of the show, he kind of has the voice of like the fandom. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So... This show just feels like... A lot of very, very funny people that didn't quite know what they were doing and were given a lot of resources and no supervision. I feel like we watched the Netflix Firefest documentary, but not the Hulu one. Yeah. Like, this is the one that's made by the people who made the show. So, of course, they're going to put themselves in a good light. Like, I bet you, if you made it just through the eyes of, like, the network, there'd be stories of, like, yeah, we walked in and they were just all doing cocaine. Like, that's clearly a part of this story that's getting left out. Yeah, like, I'd love to talk to, like, a production manager. Mm -hmm. Like, somebody who had to, like, work on, you know, the executive who had to sit Dana Carvey down and be like, hey, bro. Yeah, the camera guy that had to deal with the fact that Dana Carvey ran into the audience unplanned to do a drum set. Uh, any of the, like, Dapper Dan-esque dancers mm-hmm. who probably had a very different experience. The censor. Yeah, like... <laughs> like, that's... Hulu, <laughs> you did, you tried, but Netflix needs to make their own version now. Yeah, it was a really interesting... Called Rough Chuckles, the Dana Carvey t- Catastrophe. Yeah, like, it was an interesting show. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dana Carvey feels like an impressionist and not a truly great comedian. Yeah. Like, it feels like he does really, really well with other people's material mm-hmm. that they write for him. But, like, he needs more supervision. Yeah, like, you like, gotta... the show needed Lorne Michaels. Like, when we do the the stand-up panel at conventions... One of the things we say are impressions are not jokes. Yeah. We're not saying don't do impressions, but nobody wants to see you say, get on stage and go, hey, do you want to see my Donald Trump impression? You're fired. You're fired. My next impression. Nobody cares. If you take that same impression and put it in a new situation that no one's seen before, then you have something. Like, I know a comedian who did a great Gollum. Yeah. And it was just like him doing Gollum. I was like, eh. And then eventually, he did Gollum running for president. And that was funny. Yeah. So, like, the fact that you have all these impressions just outside of anything, out of context, as I keep saying, doesn't make a joke. Yeah. It's... I guess we need to do a uh, a verdict. If we got nothing else to say in terms of research, um, it, it bears repeating: six million people turned it off during the first sketch because they actually paid extra to get the minute by minutes. Yeah, because you pay for ratings. That's interesting. Yeah. You pay to get your ratings minute by minute. It's like an mm. extra charge because it's important, and that's how um, that's how much hype was for the Dana Carvey show. This was like big TV. I mean, like. I'm trying to to put it into the perspective of, like, if we were doing the Dana Carvey show now, what would it be? Like, I think, like, Will Ferrell, maybe? 
or like someone who's just like a big name in like the world of sketch. Bill Hader. I Maybe think be, Bill Hader. Because he's also been in some movies. Mm-hmm. But like. Uh, Bill Hader, now nah, he has too much clout now. I, I don't. Bill Hader's got Barry and stuff. He's too. Yeah. He's like, too big. Like he's kind of fallen away from like. Keenan. Maybe maybe if you grabbed like Keenan and we're like, we're doing the Keenan Thompson show and you just put all this stock on him and like he ended up like, you know, he has Colbert and Carell who are nobodies He's got at this time. some crazy, crazy talented up and comers. We can't give you examples of them because no one knows who they are. Yeah. But, this is their first job. But, like, yeah, the idea of just taking someone who's known so well for doing that one thing, and then you put it on, like, the spotlight right on them, and for them just to eat it is insanity. Yeah, it's really crazy to think about. So, uh... There's also the Jimmy Fallon... Jimmy Fallon auditioned for this show. Oh, yeah. As the only person who would have corpsed more than Dan Harvey. Uh, Louis C.K. blocked him from getting hired because, because Jimmy Fallon was too handsome. And uh, the female production staff apparently was all aboard the Jimmy Fallon hype train. And Louis C.K. was jealous that he was good looking. Which they make it a point to show that interview because they're trying... I do feel like Too Funny to Fail is trying to... They don't go real far with it. Mm-hmm. But Louis C.K. is the reason the show failed. Yeah. Is they, I feel like a... There's also this agenda of, like, they know that they made mistakes and they kind of, like, laugh that off, like, what were we thinking and stuff like that. But there's this underlining message of, like, had you given us enough time, we would have fixed it. Like, we would have righted the ship. Yeah. They canceled us too soon. And I don't believe you. No, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like it was, they were a little, like Dana Carvey was a little spoiled. When they show, they're setting up in the documentary, Too Funny to Fail, they set up how successful Dana Carvey has been up to this point. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get the impression that Dana Carvey has never failed. Yeah. And that like his career has just been easy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that that's the truth, but that's the narrative the documentary presents is that everything has come easily for Dana Carvey, including stardom. Yeah. So he's kind of a big deal. Bill Hader says in the documentary, you know, when I left SNL, it was a tweet. When Dana Carvey left, it was the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, he was on the cover of Rolling Stone. What are you going to do now? (sighs) And it's... The they end like towards the end of the documentary, it's Colbert saying, I think the best episode was episode eight, and they didn't air it. Which kind of implies like we got better over time. Mm-hmm. We had figured it out by eight, and if they had aired eight, people would have wanted nine. And I do not believe you, Mr. Colbert. I don't think eight was good enough. I think eight was a comparatively decent episode, but it was one of the better episodes in a field of crap. Yeah. Like, you fed me a big plate of shit with that Clinton duck thing. And mm-hmm. then you gave me a milkshake. And the milkshake was pretty good. But it didn't wash that shit out of my mouth. Perfect metaphor. Nailed it, Noah. Yeah, the show is... That was a self-high-five. It sure was. Uh, the show is just self-indulgent. Uh, you get the impression that it's someone who has never failed. And... 
when he's called out, kind of throws his toys mm. out of the pram a little bit. Yeah. It's it's just not great. Like, I know that I'm, you know, not a seasoned sketch writer. <laughs> but I think I've improvised scenes that have more in a, more of an ending than yeah. this does. So, so in closing. In closing. I, I, I will say that, like, I always say that a movie cannot fail if it is what it promised. This promised to be a sketch comedy show. And it's not quite a sketch comedy show. It is not the thing it promised enough. Like an impression is not a sketch. Yeah. Just because you're impersonating that thing doesn't mean it's a thing. So Dana Carvey, no. You are not turtly enough to be part of the Turtle Club. This is a stay doomed. Yeah, the, I mean, my expectations of this were pretty high. I thought this was going to be the next best show after Clone High. Because just the pedigree of the show is incredible. It launches Colbert and mm-hmm. Carell. And it's Dana Carvey, who I quite enjoy on yeah, SNL. Yeah, Dana Carvey. Uh, this is a hard stay doomed. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I think what they would have had to do to write the ship, they may as well have just demoted Dana Carvey on his own show mm-hmm. and called it something else and actually made it an ensemble cast. Yeah. So hard stay doomed. It's hard stay doomed. What are we watching next week, Lara? Uh, we are watching Legends of Wrestling. Yes. We hadn't done a wrestling one in a while and uh, we wanted something kind of different than we've been doing and we got uh, Razzy Month coming up very, very, very soon. Yeah, Legends of Wrestling is going to be our last show before... Uh, Razzie Month. Yes. Because the Razzie nominations are coming out February 8th. Yeah, so Legends of Wrestling is an alternative uh, one-night pay-per-view where they took the Legends of Wrestling and see if they still had it to compete against Vince and the Big Boys, and they don't. It's also a uh, series of video games. Yes, it is, and those are pretty good. But uh, if you want to watch before you listen, and uh, if you have something you'd like to say about uh, Legends of Wrestling, check the links below, watch it, and go ahead and send us an email at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at staydoomed. If you are an adolescent child who thinks escalating ding-dong dashes are funny, don't at me. But I'm at priorities. And if you can get me a fight with Cato Caitlin, I'm at TV's Noah. Until next time, stay doomed.